Welcome to episode number one of Dry Eye Hive. This aired on November 1st. This is a six-week bi-weekly series that occurs every other Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. This is not CE-based because this is focused on dry eye docs in the trenches where we can talk without Arbo regulations, no CE credits, and no sponsor pitches. We had about 45 people on this first event, and we dig deep, and I think you're really going to find you can implement and find tactical ways of producing revenue and healthy patients in your practice. If you want to attend, go to the link in the show notes, sign up. We have four more sessions going on uh, up until January. And this is in collaboration with Itrepreneur, Zocular, and Dry Eye Rescue. You can find links to all of them in the show notes. Are you finding staffing challenging? Is that phone just ringing off the hook? Are you missing calls? Are you having trouble getting text messages, verifying insurance ahead of the patient's visit? These things that are non-patient facing should all be done remotely. This is a service I am offering to over 30 practices with 50 team members across the USA. When you hire a remote team member, they only work for you. Think of them as a contractor, but you treat them like an employee. You can get started by visiting the link in the show notes. The name of my company is I Help You, and I help you reduce your staffing burden. You can hire in as little as 48 hours. It's a minimum three-month commitment, and then it goes month to month. When your team member is doing a good job, everyone is happy. And the best part is all of my team has eye care experience in optometry or ophthalmology. So when we say OD and OS and pterygium, they know what we are talking about. You can expect wages starting at $16 an hour. No taxes, no 401k, no health insurance. I take care of all the international payment transactions for you. This is Dry Eye Hive. This is actually something I've been working on for about eight months, getting this together. <laughs> and it's, it's a little harder when there's no CE because you have to be very thoughtful about the type of education we can deliver. And I think everybody here is here for a reason. You're looking to grow your office without the stipulation of I'm going to get a credit or a bonus. And you're looking to grow a practice, hopefully financially and, and clinically. So uh, if you're in the chat, there's a few questions that you could answer just where you're from. What do you want to learn and your favorite dry eye tool? And these are being recorded, so we'll get this up on a podcast and YouTube later on and obviously discuss it in some of the forums online afterwards, so don't feel like you're missing out. And this is a six-week bi-weekly series, so we'll be doing this all the way into January here. So if you miss this one, don't worry. Just come back in two weeks and come hang out. There's really no agenda here, as you're going to find out. And if you're just joining us, I would love if you guys could turn your cameras on. I love it so much. It's going to be much more interactive if we can see your face. It's okay if you got your pajamas on, you got your curlers, your whiskey, your beer. I wore a t-shirt just for you guys. I want you guys to be very comfortable. <laughs> Maybe one night we can all wear like wear muscle shirts as a joke and that'd be kind of like the fun, you know. Fun thing. There we go. Now know. we're what? getting more people uh, with the yeah. cameras on. You got Gary. He's got a crispy shirt. <laughs> okay. So, 
we're going to get started here. I'm going to give you the rundown and we're just going to kind of, I have some panelists tonight. It's going to evolve throughout the dry eye six week series of who's on. And one of my goals was how can we get panelists on here that are non-KOL who are not financially incentivized to recommend their products. And there's nothing wrong with KOLs. They, they need to exist in the industry as, as well as, you know, MSLs and stuff like that. But I want to work with and talk to people in the trenches who are like, this is how I do it. And I was joking with Aaron earlier today when we were prepping. I said, Aaron, I just had a meeting with this dry doctor. I've never heard of her. She has five doctors in three locations. And Aaron's like, yeah, there's tons of these clinics all over the country. They just, they're so silent online, but they have like really great operations. Well, I'm going to do a little introduction. So I'm Perry Brill. I'm the son of an optometrist and I worked in my dad's office for about eight years in Kansas City. And it was a really advanced dry eye clinic. I remember when I was in, working in his office in an administrative role, we had about 10 employees and, you know, we had Lipaflow in 2014 and, and Tear Lab in, you know, 2011 or whenever that was introduced. And so I was kind of there when there wasn't much to offer outside of drugs and, you know, some manual expression with your fingers. And right when Lipaflow was rolling out, we had, we got the Lipaview 2 and the lip of flow. And it was like a real, like energized to our practice because now we could actually help people. And we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on advertising, which we'll talk about through website creation and professional video content. And so I really got excited about that part, the business part of dry eye. And today I do a lot of media marketing, as you'll see here, I own a staffing agency and do some software development. So that's why we're here, but I'm going to pass the baton on to Peter here, and he's one of our guest panelists tonight, and you can kind of share your short story. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with everyone here, and hopefully we can have everyone just join in and have a really interactive session here. As Perry already mentioned here, the whole purpose of the Dry Eye Hive here is not to have a top-down discussion of any specific product, or any specific procedure, but to ask the whole panel here of what works for someone, what doesn't work, because dry eye is a pretty complex topic here. And what works for one of us may not work for the other. And it helps to have a more nuanced perspective from everyone. So I really appreciate this opportunity here. A little bit about myself, I'm a practicing ophthalmologist out in Houston. I also am the CEO of Azocular, which is the dry eye company here. Perfect. Awesome. Well, yeah. But, so my name is Aaron Evans and Perry and uh, Peter have asked me, hey, to jump, come on here and just talk a little bit about dry eye. And I, I come from a private practice setting. I've uh, been in practice for about 12 years. Recently got out of seeing patients and now operating over seven locations. Dr. Ryan Beck, who's on here, is our medical director, as well as our one of our co-founders with me on Dry Eye Rescue, which is why we're here on Dry Eye. Uh, a few years ago, Ryan came to me and said he wanted to get into dry eye, and I thought it'd be pretty easy to implement. And I can tell you, it was one of the hardest things we've ever had to do. And we, it, we had to really sharpen our pencil. And we, you know, luckily had enough tools. We had our own marketing companies, other things to build to build a dry eye clinic within our clinics. And and it's now evolved to you know, you know, helping other people do that in their clinics. And this is part of that. If we can help raise the bar and dry eye for everyone. I think there's a lot of things I want to learn and Dr. Beck want to learn from, from, you know, people like Perry said earlier that have these awesome dry eye clinics that have been around for five, 10 years where we've only been doing it three, four years. 
So we like to learn and, and interact with you guys. And, and if we can give you guys any insight to how, how we do it. And if you guys, you know, again, can take what you want or, or not, but we appreciate you joining us. It's East coast, eight 30. It's pretty, pretty late, but we, I think it's still going to be pretty fun. Cool. And yeah. Ryan, why don't you go next? Sure. So I'm Dr. Ryan Beck. I've been practicing for about eight years now. I've been working actually with Aaron for just about all of that time in, in coming through. And also just kind of similar to Perry, a son of an optometrist, also a brother of one and a nephew to two other ones. So fifth wow. one in the family, you know, <laughs> definitely been a family biz and seen a bunch of different practices and in different styles and types, some that were really heavy, dry eyes, some that weren't. And we tried to incorporate a bunch of things into the practice group that we have. So we also operate eight practice locations in the South Florida area and employ 11 doctors all with different styles as well. And getting the doctors and the staff and the things on board was interesting because each location was set up a little bit differently too. So as you know, Dr. Evans said, it was definitely a trial in getting started. I will first admit fault that we got a lipoflow and we were one of those offices that had sat in a box in the corner for about six months until we actually opened up and started using it. So, you know, from going from that into building a system that was able to be transferable in between the offices, it's, it's been a real fun adventure and happy to share any kind of knowledge of what we're doing every day. I also, I practice four days a week myself. And I recently, just as of last week, gave up comprehensive eye exam care because the dry eye aspect of our group just actually took too much over it. And now I am just specifically on dry eye now, four days a week. And it's awesome. been phenomenal. Dry. That's bad. That's badass. And I hope, I hope Aaron yeah. and Ryan, maybe I can come down there one day in, in the next three months and we can kind of show the clinic off that you guys build it sounds First, fun absolutely. Um, it's built for that training center so it's great yeah yeah well we can live stream from there and act like gamers but we're really just a bunch of nerds it's great <laughs> we can some, some call of duty we got a bunch of tvs in there too so it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right so if you're just joining here this is dry a hive this is a six-week series bi-weekly there's no ce nobody here is uh paid to present. We're not hawking products and you're not going to get sales emails afterwards. This is not the purpose. If you want to turn your cameras on, would love it. We got the brave souls. Michelle's looking great. Gary, Ariel, Wendy Ann, David, you guys look awesome. So please turn them on if you can. It's okay if you're on mobile. But so here's kind of the format that's going to go down here. There's no topics really tonight. So we want to hear from you. What do you want to learn? And Everyone in here is a master in something. So if you have something to add to the conversation, what I ask you to do is just put in, if you want to get on stage to ask a question to one of the uh, three experts on here, then just say, put your question in the chat, please. And just, I will create a queue and then I'll be messaging you to come up on stage and I'll unmute you. So that is the format. So any burning question clinically can be super scientific could be out business, staffing, anything dry eye related. You can put that in the chat and you'll come on. You'll talk via audio. You don't have to have your camera on the talk. And we'll just kind of shoot the breeze back and forth. So I'm going to... I'm sorry. Is everyone able to unmute or do you have to unmute on here? They I think you can unmute. You can unmute, I think. Oh, okay. That, if you can, that may be even more so, interactive. If you want to talk, just maybe unmute and just start speaking sometimes because it looks like everyone is muted right now. And so. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm going to, let's, let's, 
we're gonna do a little role play. So I'll be the. I'm gonna pretend <laughs> I'm the doctor, and I have a, a dry clinic of one year. Uh, so, Aaron, I'm gonna we'll grill you first. So, right. Aaron, I have this 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 Lipaflow, and I got honestly, I have two boxes of activators, and you know how much those activators are. It's probably what five k and sitting in a box on a, a dusty <laughs> shelf, maybe more. It's not that much. It's not that much. But yeah. <laughs> okay. And I got I got also have four amniotic membranes from BioTissue. I thought I'd, I'd use and this this IPL unit which is on delivery. And I'm just really struggling to get people back in for the workup. I because during the routine eye exam and Ryan, you can <clears> pop <throat> in on this too. During the routine eye exam, I. I they are complaining of contact lens intolerance. They are complaining of heavy blinking. And I tell them, look, it, it's not the lenses. The lenses are great today. It's kind of your stupid eye. And, you know, I say it kind of nicely, <laughs> nicely and jokingly. So how would we handle that situation so we can really get these patients back in to value the workup? Oh, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of technology and, uh, and the wow factor. It's just kind of the way I've always done things. And so we, we strongly believe in myography as, a, as almost a screening tool. You know, and so even on our routine exams, you know, even if they're not complaining of anything, even before they see the doctor, we're doing a, a, a quick liposcan scan or some quick myelography scan. And the doc, again, if he starts to hear some, some symptoms related to probably dry eye and, and he's running out of time and can't really do everything that day. We used to do it without the myelography and it was a tough sale. Like, hey, why can't you do it on the same day? Why are you making me come back? You're all about the money, this, that and the other. You know, now we just pull up the MyVo Im images, take a quick look at it. They're seeing something that they've never seen before, almost like an Optimap. They've never seen it before, the back of their eye. We say, listen, we think there's something going on there. Do you for charge us to really for that? Figure it out. No, Do no, we don't charge for the, my for the MyBography. You know, because it's a screening MyBography. It's not the full, the deep, okay. you know, the, the deep diagnostic version. So there's a quick scan of something to talk about. Again, now we do have a care that we also do if it's a contact lens patient. We are doing a little bit more for those patients, and that can speak to this more. But I know we are doing a screening myography, and we might do some other dry eye eval, just a quick test. Again, just to, to, to spur the conversation about dry eye, because, again, this patient may think it's their contacts. They usually think it's allergies. They think it's something. They, they don't always just jump to, to dry eye being that problem. And so, you know, and we also don't want our doctors in, that, aren't, that are busy to all of a sudden open up a can of worms in that last five minutes. So we want them to plant the seed. We might even send them home with something basic, even if it's an eye drop that we sell in the office, just to get them started and say, we'll see you back in a couple of weeks and we'll figure out, you know, the root cause of this. Our big thing is we're a, we're a soft sale. We do really well at the IPL and the flows as far as our capture rate, if you want to call it that. Most because we're, we're, not, we're not pushing it so hard. You know, again, we, we present options. We give them good, better, best. We give them different price ranges as far as that goes. But also we spread it out. We don't go from zero because again, these patients are there to, you know, get a pair of glasses. Some sometimes are just routine. They, they allocated a certain amount of time and money that day, and and if you overwhelm them, they're you're going to scare them off. So we just you know soft sell, give them give them something, show them an image, you know, get, get their interest a little bit that they wow, there may be something to this, and then we tell them to come on back. Yeah, and you you just mentioned something. I'm going to kind of put on my administrator hat because I was responsible for revenue. And here you are, you just did a, a routine eye exam. They came in what? They came in for contacts or glasses. And now you can potentially destroy your the whole patient relationship because you lost the glasses sale, you lost the contacts. Now you're saying they need $1,500 of dry treatment when they 
had no physical pain, right. yet they had MGD and, and other symptoms. So I think you're right. It is a journey and it may not be a sale now, but maybe in six months or a year. Well, well I'm just curious, um, is anyone in the group here charging for a dry eye screening at all? Or is everyone basically just doing that as part of the evaluation for dry eye, possible dry eye patients? I'm just curious if anyone in the group is actually charging for dry eye screening here. Anyone? Eye screening, do you, do you mean <laughs> during- Like uh, doing a mammography or uh, doing even a, a picture, so similar to like how a lot of practices charge for the optos, right? Uh, to get the retinal pictures. So I'm curious if anyone is actually doing something similar in dry eye. I do, I charge $45 for uh -huh. the mammography. Okay. Great. Great. So we and that was Leanne. Thanks for being our, our first brave soul here. Really appreciate it. Okay, so walk us through that. So patient comes in, they're on their their lousy VSP benefit. Sorry. <laughs> and then what do you do? Uh, are you talking to me? Yes. yes. Yeah. So this is how I do it. A patient come in. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I look like a mess, so I'm not going to have my video on. <laughs> you <laughs> so, sound great. Um, I, I see a lot of older patients, meaning like in their 40s and older. So my, my clientele is Babies. even older. And, and, and um, 50, <laughs> 60, 70, 80, 100. And, and so they have, you know, I see the sign, but sometimes they don't have the symptoms. And so what I do is I would tell them, you know, I tell them because a lot of these established patients. So I tell the staff that Dr. Griffin wants to go ahead and image your gland just because as we get older, we're going to have more inflammation and she, and she just want to see what it looks like. And then because they would ask, what are you doing? You know, you didn't do this before. And, and so that's what we do. And then they would put it on the, the screen. So when I come in, it was already there. And sometimes they would play a video to let the patient know about eye health and what are my bowman glands and what happened when you had inflammation. So we do have a little bit of video to kind of educate the patient before I come in. And then when I come in, I would ask them, you know, what do you have any questions about the video? And I sit down and I discuss that. That's the first thing they want to know. What am I looking at? And then I would kind of go into a little bit. And then I said, let me go ahead and continue ex exam because you're here for glasses. So let's do that. And then I would say, okay. And, and then I give them an option, like kind of like Dr. Evans. I have like simple home option that they can start with and then come back in a month and I'll check. And then at that one month, I'll do more detail workup. And what is, the, what is the, uh, the home option? Are you doing warm compresses or some type of wipes? Yes. If I see uh, a lot of time, I see blepharitis with it as well. So I would send home the, uh, the Ocusoft Plus that they can use to kind of clean up the lids. If the myboman gland look congested, then I would give them a home, home treatment. I would recommend warm compress. And I said it may not do a lot, but it's, it's a start. Uh, I prescribe omega-3 as well. And sometimes uh, they would accept the option, all of them, and sometimes they don't. And I said, that's okay, uh, because you're not symptomatic, uh, but let's come back in a month and then we can go into the discussion, like further details. And, and so I would say the capture rate uh, on just starting to do some kind of work on their eyes is about 90%. 10% of my patients just refuse and I'm okay with that. 
So you pre-appoint that person, you schedule them, say, look, we're going to see you a month. Uh, yes, Jane, that is Jane correct. Your, our, our tech, a receptionist is going to book this right now for you. That is correct. So everybody require a revisit so I can discuss the details. Because on the red, like you said, they're there for, I always try to address the chief complaint and they were not there. A, a lot of these patients live with it all their lives and they thought that's normal. And I tell them it's not normal. It doesn't have to be that way. I do have an IPL, but I never discuss that at, at the get-go because it overwhelms them. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say it's 90% capture rate or you know, <clears throat> by a consent to treatment, is, is how many people sign up to get the screening, though, if you present that to all your patients? Is how many um, people are to do that? The screening, I would say I don't have all of them signed up. Most of them don't know what it is. I would... I would, you know, once they do them, I would tell them that this is the charge. We just charge them afterward and, and they're okay with it. If they fuss, then we, don't, we take the charge off. Okay. So you kind of, you, you, you're, you're automatically doing it. And then at the end, you say, hey, listen, the screening was $45. And if they get crazy with it, you say, well, we can waive it this time for you. That is correct. Kind of like the optos. At the beginning, when we first have optos in 2020, we were kind of like give it optional. But now it's required for everybody. And eventually we'll probably require the mammography. But right now, the people just don't understand that enough about dry eye. And they don't think they have dry eye. And so um, I'm, if, if they opt in, then I do them. If they, they don't opt in, I still do them. And we still charge if I sit and discuss in detail with them. And sometimes the patient won't want to pay. And I'm okay with that too, because I'm doing a service that is good for them. That's how I look at it. And I, I and if they think that they couldn't afford it, then I would waive it. But most of my patients, they seem to understand the value after I explain it to them. And, and so they don't really say anything. No, I, Liam, I you bring up a great, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just saying that Liam brings up an excellent point about having patient be invested in their care because they're paying for whatever nominal amount that is. Uh, so I think you were alluding to the fact that the uptake for treatment is much better at, uh, with a nominal payment than if it were to be completely all free, in which case sometimes patients' expe- expectation is such that, oh, if it's free, then why do I really need it? If I didn't need it for screening, why would I need this extra treatment as well? And so I, I'm just mm-hmm. curious if, if people who are doing some sort of fee-based screening are actually getting some better results with the acceptance rate because it's kind of an additional screening method for patients who are going to be more compliant because it's the toughest thing clinically is to find patients and they're not compliant with whatever we, we want them to do, you know, so we can be the best of doctors. And if they're not compliant, then, you know, it takes away the whole process. We, it was in my, in my father's practice, we charge $75 for biography through the lip of you too. And we had no pushback and it wasn't a screening because, you know, I'm not a clinician, but my, my dad obviously self-selected these people for some type of reason. We didn't have pushback. They, they were suffering. They, I think a lot of times we don't realize that these patients drove by 10 other practices and they came to you for a reason. You got them held captive. They chose you. So now it's time to take care of them and you can't feel bad for, for charging, you know, for, for little things. And 75 bucks is pretty reasonable, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on the area as well. And I can speak with this with Dr. Evans. So initially, when we started with our dry eye evaluations, we had actually even had an extra charge for some of the reporting that we did because we actually we use the Oculus Care to Graph 5M. 
and had gotten the crystal tier report as part of that. And it was, a, you know, an investment, but provided a lot of good information for our patient. And then initially we saw, yes, those people who were suffering and compliant, yes, they would drive in, they would didn't care what it was, they would pay it, they were on board, ready to go. But later on, about a year into us doing the, the, the testing and evaluations, we realized that we wanted to reach out to more of the patients in the chair who might have mild to moderate symptoms that weren't ready to so, so invest, but we wanted to capture a little bit of something, like spark their interest. So we started doing a, just a lower lid mybography with either the lipid scan or the keratograph in each of the patients in the exam rooms. And from there, we, we started to say, look, this is unhealthy a little bit right now, or you know, if it's a mild case, or we say more of expressing concern. That was one of my favorite words in the exam room when we got started was I'm concerned that if we don't take care of this now, it can progress down to something a little bit worse later. So that's why I want to bring you back. We'll, you know, do a medical visit, most likely under your medical insurance, as long as we take it and then draw up a treatment plan for you at that time. And then, you know, I know it's tough to get away from thinking with people's wallets, but if they feel like they're getting the examination taken over by the insurance, they might be more willing to have that extra pocket money go towards these treatments as long as, you know, it was going to be beneficial for them too. Yeah. I would just add a little bit to, to what Lynn was saying is, is I do think it's pretty interesting. You ask a patient, Hey, you want your, my you want your myomia glands images, one image, they, they probably have no idea what you're talking about. So, you know, they're going to say no every time you ask them that question. But if you go ahead and do the, the technology, just like you want to see your retina, well, I don't know, maybe what the heck's a retina, you know? So, <laughs> I like it. They're, you're doing the myography and, and you're showing them and if they're leaning in and they're all excited and you find something and, you know, you're really going after it and they're excited about it, then great. If they're looking at you like, I could care less, this is not for me. And I think, you know, you're just trying to tell me snake oil, then you, know, you back up and maybe you don't charge for that. But I think the ones that are wanting, you know, are, are excited to learn something new about their, their eyes. And we have several patients that would come back, right? You know, would say, why are you here today? Like, well, you always got new toys. I always like to come in and see what you, what you can find today. And, you know, and, and they're excited to learn about their eyes. And, and I, I kid with my, my best friend, he's a, he's a dentist and he's, he, you know, he takes your teeth out and puts them back in the day kind of guy, but it's easy. It's <laughs> easy for him because everyone comes in complaining of, of pain or irritation or, or cosmetically, you know, dry eye, majority of them don't have any complaints and you have to tell them there's a problem they don't really even know they have a problem so i think the imagery going back is that, that i think that my both screening is a great tool and can charge for it or not i think i think it's good if you can charge for it and i think i can i, I don't know why i guess we may look at maybe we're going to start charging more for charging something i think for that so aaron you said something interesting so when optimap came out i think my dad had it in like the early 2000s or mid 2000s he had the big old jalopy dinosaur one oh, yeah. and 200 oh yeah 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 it worked worked great <laughs> and so they had a click fee model and he paid every time he took a picture so he he would the technician would have to ask the patient would you like this photo yada 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 here's why you get it and acceptance rate was was good but it wasn't fantastic and then my dad was talking to him this is before they're big they're like why don't you just let me take unlimited photos and you know they eventually moved to that model so what for Optimap, what he does is he takes a photo on everybody. He doesn't ask them if they want the photo. So then they're like, wow, this is really cool. It seems very high tech. Now they get in the exam room. And then he asks the patient permission. We just took this photo. Do I have your permission to open it? It's this amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so now 
Yes, could it be seen as a little shady? Sure, but at least you have asked permission. You have demonstrated that this is some pretty high-tech equipment. So just food for thought. For yeah, and I can tell you the repeat on OptiMap is, is really high. Once people have paid for it or didn't pay for it and got it for free, whatever you did, the repeat is very strong. Same with, with anti-glare coatings on your glasses. If you said, hey, do you want AR in your glasses? Like, what the heck is that? What's AR? But once they've had it and they, and, and you know, they see the benefits, they come back and it's an easy... It's an easy repeat. Same on my biography. I, I would imagine they're coming back saying, hey, how my myelo glands looking? Because last year you said they weren't great. And, they, you know, it's kind of an, something else for them to look at. I mean, that can more to that. But I think I think that's what they meant, I would say. Absolutely. And, and, then, and uh, it goes without. Sorry. Yeah. Go on, Ryan. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I know and one of the things that, you know, Aaron just kind of segued just very slightly was that that's definitely one of the things my patients asked me coming in and how are the glands looking today? But I also push on the glands for every person who's in the regular comprehensive exam or did previously. I personally like the CORB MGE, the meibomian gland evaluator, to be able to judge a little bit of function there as well as doing a little cotton tip applicator to the, the lid margin to get to say, hey, is normal function going to be good as well as is forceful push going to be okay? And then also count the number of glands that are expressing per lid. And then I just chart that real quick. There's the seven glands per lid, 10 glands per lid. You know, how are they doing for that day? And then there's patients who come back three, six, you know, a year later, they, they say, all right, doc, how many glands I got now? How many, how many glands are working for me after going through this treatment? And, and it definitely drives it. It's fun. Ryan, Ryan, you mentioned something, uh, the CORB MGE. I don't think a lot of people may not know what that means. It's like a little uh, compression spring thing with like, I don't know how much PSI, little tiny PSI. Mm -hmm. Aaron knows know the PS the PSI. He knows the he knows exactly the PSI. Is it what point two or two? I don't <laughs> no, know. I don't point, three. <laughs> point three. Point three. Yep. Well, uh, it's, so it's it the is. exact. It's supposed. It's theoretically supposed to be the exact amount of a, of a normal blink that you can forcefully kind of blink. So if, again, the idea is if you push on it and, it and nothing comes out, then the majority of the time when the patient is blinking, nothing, no oil is probably coming out. Now it doesn't mean they can't squeeze real hard or push, but that's the idea of of, of yeah, the. And if you need one, little, just. Reach out to J and J. I'm sure the local rep can just swing you on or something. I got some. I got some. I can. I can use as well. But just there related to the whole screening there, right? I think one of the easiest screening, of course, is just a questionnaire. What minute they walk into the office? As Lynn was mentioning, a lot of patients uh, have just put up with dry eye for decades, and they so you know they basically have learned helplessness now, and they don't even talk about it. But you know, even a simple survey, which we wouldn't charge for, obviously. It would basically set up the conversation so you can actually talk about it by reviewing that uh, survey with them. And then that gets the whole conversation going about dry eye in a more granular fashion for the patients that is more interactive than just saying, oh, by the way, I see a bunch of demodex, even though you feel nothing. Yeah. We have a question from Travis Lair here. He's, he wants to know, anyone know where I can buy my bone and gland expressor easily? I'm, I'm assuming there's different types. Yeah, you can. You guys like yeah, where to buy them? I mean, you can buy them anywhere. I mean, almost all the distributors have them. Uh, I know Bruder has their own. Oasis Medical has their own. I mean, you name it. I think, well, there's, they're, they're pretty easy to get. Um, I, I don't want to self-plug, but there's other ways. <laughs> I don't know. We, we can get, we can email us. We'll get you some places to go. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Let's move Which on. Which one do you use? I wanted, I wanted to chip in on that. Sorry. So by Wait, the, my booming gland expressor, I think I was talking about more the one that tier... Is it Johnson Johnson cells for actually pressing on the glands to get that right PSI? Not the actual yes. pressing instrument. Oh, yeah. Oh, the MGE. Yeah. So yeah. There, it's either Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's okay. there's there's only two places to get it: Johnson and Johnson and Dry Rescue. You go okay. direct when you. I'll say they, and not to beat up on J and J, but they they because it's a medical device, it's you have to open up a surgical account with J and J. They make it extremely hard. Wow. But you know, but you can't get it done. Thank you. They're they're I think they're like forty dollars. I think. I just put in the link. It's a simple e e-commerce thing there. So. Cool. Really, thanks for the question, Travis. Anybody is welcome to chime in if you're just joining us. What's up, Dr. B? You're more than welcome to unmute yourself. Literally, just ask a question. You got a whole 37 people here who are just dying to give you answers. <laughs> dying to give me answers about some sweet. Yeah. Yeah, What'd sorry. You you know, a little late. But, uh, you know, I mean, my biggest thing when I start looking at some of this dry stuff and, it, you know, more and more... I want to be doing more zest treatments. I want to be doing more tear care treatments. And, you know, I'm really getting to the point where do, you know, do I want to start putting that as like, hey, this is first line treatment. We're going to get you started on this stuff just to get them going on it. Because, you know, I'm like, do I take the route of, yeah, let's go ahead and put you on a course of, you know, Isuvis and some artificial tears, warm compresses, things like that. Or are we just going to jump right into this kind of thing? You know, because I get I get good responses when we do the do the procedures, but it's getting to that point where I'm like, I get good responses with covered items that are, you know, under insurance with the drops, you know, stuff like that. So I'm like, you know, hey, how do I how do I get over my own, I guess, personal restrictions on when I think that's useful and beneficial, you know? Yeah, I can jump on that one because this is kind of what I'm I'm dealing with every day. And uh, the easy answer is there's no easy answer. I apologize about that is that every patient is different. You know, if I could give a disc assessment, if you guys are familiar with that is and I'm learning about personality types for everybody coming in, I would love to have that on every patient before they walk in the door so that I could see who was going to be the go getter and ready to drive into treatment and then just like, hey, doc, let's do this today and get it done. Or the people that I'm going to have to actually hire somebody just to hold their hand from the entryway into the exam room it's it's really feeling out the patient and figuring out how how invested are they in in jumping on board not just financially but in in making themselves feel better how much of this is truly affecting their lives and when you get to those discussions and saying well you know is this interacting with your day every day or is this just a once a week thing that you're putting in drops or you know and that starts to help you gauge on where to jump in with treatment I think anybody who is here and jumps in and somebody comes in with plus three injection 360 around their eyes and somebody comes in complaining of burning sensation, you're not going to hesitate to be able to throw, you know, a steroid on it and get them calmed down or whatever your favorite treatment is for, for those kind of situations. But it's, it's definitely taking it case by case and really connecting with the patient. Because when you start asking about them personally, you're generating that doctor-patient relationship, which is going to breed that long-term, you know, dry eye journey as time goes through. In that sense as well, Dr. Evans started to mention before, we do have, we, we've set up like a mild, moderate, and severe level of treatment plans for each of the different main diagnoses that go along with dry eye. And by already having that readily available, it was like, it was say, oh, either way, I just got to grab the mild sheet and this is what we got to do. Moderate sheet, here we go. Severe sheet, here we go. And then talk to the patient through the options on each of those type of treatment plans and go from there. Are you basing that more on then like a like a speed score or a diagnostic? Because I mean, you'll you obviously see the pain without stain type patients, you know, because obviously sometimes what we see doesn't match up with their symptoms. 
It's true. And so the symptoms that go there, I think the, the imaging like we've talked about before goes a long way. So during our dry eye evaluations, we're actually doing anterior segment photography, both with sodium fluorescein staining, as well as lysamine green. And we're doing tear breakup time videos that, that go along with it, as well as well as mybography and looking in it. And when you can physically show the patient that there's this keratinized biofilm with a bunch of demodex mites just hanging out all over the front surface of their face, and that there's a need for that zest treatment to be done pretty much immediately to get started, then it's, it's an easy kind of push to the patient. I don't want to call it a cell because it's really a prescription treatment that we're prescribing for them, but you know, that, that's that kind of issue. So I would say the, the imaging goes a long way. The symptoms obviously play a role, but I think that the education and the imaging is probably more driving factor than just the OSDI or the speed score. I'd like to speak a little bit to that. Is that, that uh, do you, we do bring patients back for a full comprehensive dry eye evaluation that is every bit of an hour long. And we charge, I think, $300 for that. If we can bill, we bill the parts that we can for that. But we, we, we used to try to squeeze it into 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe squeeze it into an exam, you know, and, and it wasn't enough information to get the patient to really buy in or consent to, to the treatment option, especially the, the more in, not say invasive, the more complex treatment. So, you know, again, we let the diagnosis really drive the treatment. You know, when you put them on the flat screen and, it, and you're showing images and you, and it, you know, you're kind of thinking, I think Dr. Beck's mostly thinking out loud, he's looking at everything and he's showing them their blink rate or their incomplete blink or their lack of their myboom coming out of the glands. And he looks at it and says, listen, half of the glands are, are, uh, are not working. I think we start there. I think, you know, we can do some things that can help you with the symptoms and, and get you some quick relief. We're not going to do that, but we should treat the long-term aspects of this as well, which is, you know, the root cause, which is the obstruction, if that's the case. Because it sounds like you, you're like, oh, was it tear care? Yeah, I got a tear care unit. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah it, and again, it's a hard... I, I guess I'd like to say is I take I take the selling out of the chair we try and, and the way that we do things. We want the patient to be looking up there, almost asking to do it, not us telling them to do it as far as, you know, what level they should do. You know, they, they look and, hey, doc, what, how do I fix this? How do I, you know, I, now that you've pointed out the problem, I see there's a real problem here. How do I, how do we go to the next level? And, and you're not one-on-one, -on -one, you're kind of pointing at the screen going, I think, you know, this is what we need to do. Clearly, we can all see that. And having talked to a lot of dry eye docs, I can tell you they all start off Pretty, pretty shy when it comes to presenting these treatments. And then when I talked to him six months to a year later, I went golfing with a guy the other day. It does really well with IPL. He packages it up at $2,500. And he goes, now I just go straight. He goes straight to the, to the BAM. He goes, I get it done. They're happy. Everybody's happy. I don't have to drag this out over two years. You know, I just, I hit them. And, but if they say no, or they're not open to the idea, then he backs up and, and has his, his regular protocols. But don't be shy about, if you believe that what you're offering is going to help them, like you've seen the myobomia glands and you think tear care is going to be the, the answer for them, just go right at it, you know, in confidence, I think you'll be fine. I don't think you need to go to, and, and you know, it's prescription, prescription is expensive, you know, no matter what their insurance is, you know, there's a lot of good options out there, but they're not cheap. You know, I think they're over here up to $600 a month and that's not helping anybody. I don't think, I mean, you should do it if they, if it really is working and they can afford it, but you know, Ear care is cheap, much cheaper than that. And I think it should be a, a part of the care. And it's not either or. I think you can do both. Give them a whole and, uh, and just kind of talking about, you know, treatment <clears throat> protocol as well. The things that we've learned from the DUS2 report, which, you know, has been around for about five years now, is that with MGD, the main things that you want to hit are reducing inflammation, 
removing obstruction and increasing production, right? And when you show the meibomian gland images and or if you have anterior segment photography to go along with it, and you can show, well, here's the inflammation, here's the biofilm that's obstructing, and then the glands are not producing as much now because they've been blocked and inflamed, and you have to hit all three areas, that kind of sells the importance. Well, each treatment is different, you know, that's going to all kind of combine together to make the best thing for you. So when patients start to ask like, well, which one can I do that's going to be the best result? Well, it doesn't exactly work that way. We got to, you know, open up the tops of those glands first so that when we do the expression, we can get everything out. And then when we get everything out, we need to be on something to supplement us so that we're producing better stuff rather than the stuff that might've been trapped in there in the first place. So Aaron, are you not billing any of the dry eye follow-ups then through your medical insurance? That would be Dr. Becker. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that if it's a private pay patient, they are paying $300 for the initial evaluation and then $150 for the follow-ups. If it is the follow-ups, I'm pretty sure we are building office visits for that. Okay. Confirm and get back to on that. I'm pretty sure we are. On, no, top, true. Um, yeah. on top of the $300? The $300 so, is for the initial day. It's for the initial evaluation. It's that first day of, and they spend an hour with us. They go through we have a keratograph. We do, I don't know, it's 26 point dry eye evaluation. It's, it's inflammatory dry. It's tear lab or, you know, it were osmolarity. I mean, we, by the time they're done, they're, they're, they're totally, you know, in that time that Dr. Beck and other doctors been with them, they're totally happy with that, that investment. Uh, one, okay. because most doctors don't take that time to really dig into the root cause of dry eye. They don't, you know, take it. Yeah, start with going, that process. I'm, I'm sorry. Start with that. Is... Go ahead, Gary. Your 300 is not just the visit. That includes mobography, like a right. couple of tear labs, right, left Every eye, and stuff like that, because you can't get 300 for a visit for a drive, can right. you? I mean, no, we, we put it all together. It's like 299, I think, is what we charge for that. And and it's it started, we went up and down in pricing, and that's been our sweet spot over the last four years, is right about 299 all in. Now, not everybody has, most people have insurance, so you can bill a portion of that and we can build photography, you know, and I'm not a building expert, I, I, to be honest with you, but I know there's a, you know, you can build external photos, you can do some things to offset it. And and then again, the follow-up, you're coming back in. Yeah, but I, again, think, I think it's important to like, when we talk about this stuff for practice management purposes to, you know, you throw out a number of 300 and I'm not criticizing, you don't get me wrong because I appreciate all of your knowledge and everything, but like, some people may be new on here and they may think, be thinking, oh, I can charge 300 for a visit or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you're charging, you know, 180 for a EM2, EM3. Some people charge an EM4 and do direct ophthalmoscopy or something like that and run up the bill. But then, you know, you're charging for external photos for monitoring mybobian gland dysfunction, maybe a couple of tear labs. And then the bill gets up to 300. It's not just a $300 visit charge, you know, and I think maybe some right. people, I don't know, maybe not. So, yeah. but I think no, it's it, important to kind of delineate what you're charging for each individual thing for the people on here to understand. And thanks yeah. Gary for, for adding the input. This is kind of what it's about. If something is not clear just speak up because we all want to learn together. So. Sorry, I'm a little bit confused. So the, the sequence of your exam is that you see him the first time as a regular EMM visit. 
And then you find out that they have dry eye and then you ask them to follow up once again and this second visit to further evaluate the dry eye as an hour long dedicated process for dry eye, you then charge 300 and do not bill insurance. Is that how that works? Or is that second visit also insurance billed and you charge on top of that another fee? So the way that it's done, oh, sorry, I don't know, it looks like he might be muted. I think he was trying oh, to, he, like, Gary, trying to talk. Muted. Gary, you're muted. Muted. There you go. <clears throat> yeah, you know, being optometrists, we see people under these vision care plans. And I know as an ophthalmologist, that's probably a little foreign to you. But so we're getting paid about 35 to $45 to see them to like I was back in 1990 to see them for an eye exam. And then, you know, I, I have them fill out a speed questionnaire and then we do lip scan on the people that score out six or above or have a dry eye complaint. And then I look at the glands in the exam room and then I have them come back for a dry eye workup under their medical insurance. So, you know, I'm not seeing people for a medical visit on the front end and finding, you know, a bunch of this like you might be doing i'm seeing them for vision exams and then finding them and yeah, confirming them for the medical and, and i charge just like aaron you know it's a, around 300 dollars for the package when everything's said and done so yeah we try to utilize their insurance as much as we can of course if it's, but again sometimes it's just that you know that's all they have is a vision plan and they're they were willing to pay out of pocket with an ABN or something over and above. And again, I'm not, I am not the billing expert. We have a billing code that's great. And Dr. Beck probably knows way more about this, how, how we're doing the exact billing. But I know when we came up with a roundabout pricing of what everything costs to do it, it was around $300 billable or, or payable, depending on, on their situation. I want to pivot yeah. here a little. So I know, Wendy Ann, you had a question. I'm happy to ask it for you. If you want to ask yourself, it was about teching. Okay, I'll, so she wants to know, <laughs> do you have a dedicated technician doing this hour-long workup? Sure. So to, to be clear for our hour-long visit, it's actually only about 20 minutes of workup, to be quite honest with you. We start out with a tear lab OU. Uh, we do inflammatory OU, and then we do the, ser the series of pictures and videos with mibography, inter interferometry, anterior segment photos, the staining photos and the OSDI that go into it. And that's kind of our, our main po points that we're looking at for the dry eye evaluation. The reason why we make the actual visit in the hour is because after that's all said and done, it gives me about five, 10 minutes to be able to grade the exam, make sure I get my thoughts together of exactly how I wanna present it to the patient. And we actually sit there for a good 25 minutes to be able to talk through this is what's going on with your eyes and the ocular surface. This is why we did all this fancy testing. We're showing all the images of everything that we took and, you know, really going in depth and in detail more than we actually see it. I mean, personally, I don't have any other practitioners that I see for my own health that I'm spending 25 minutes with uh, to be able to discuss any of my diagnoses. And so they feel like that by taking that time to really invest in them understanding what's happening, it's easier for them to jump on board with the treatment plan. After they talk with me, they also talk with one of our consultants in the office to find out more about the billing side of it. Because like we said, we don't really talk billing in the exam room. It's more soft sell. 
and what their insurance covers afterwards. So in total time, the patient's there for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, but really it's about 20 minutes of tech time and you know 20 minutes of doctor time that be able to go through. Sounds good. Thanks for the clarification here. We're going to pivot a little. So we're going to pass kind of the baton to, to Peter here. And Michelle Barron, thanks for being here, Michelle. She wants you to discuss the differences between Zest Zocular products and other traditional lid wipe slash hygiene brands. So full disclosure, obviously you, you know, you yeah. own the company, but you take a unique approach, I know. Yeah. So and I am the CEO of Zocular here, so it, it, it may be biased here, but I'll try to give it unbiased as much as possible here. So there's a lot of uh, options out there for lid hygiene. You have everything from hypochlorous acids, tea tree or basil products to the okra-based zest Zocular products there. They all work very well, and it really has to do with what type of <clears throat> problems you want to address there. Now, with zest in, with Zocular in particular, what differentiates it from other products really is the immediacy of action, meaning that if you do a zest procedure, you're almost guaranteed an instant and pretty dramatic improvement in the dry eye symptoms, no matter where it's starting at, whether it's starting at a very high speed score, it would drop by about the 40, 50, 80% within about 15, 20 minutes there. And it generally persists. And so that's one reason why Zest is popular for trying to help those patients who present with, you know, significant symptoms that they want some sort of instant gratification for. But as Jason had alluded to, it is a out-of-pocket procedure and is similar to Blefex where it really does take that kind of discussion with the patient to see what are what, what are their personalities like? What is the severity of their symptoms and how much do they want to really address it there as a function of their clinical situation, right? If they have a lot of fibromic gland dropout, it's just completely inflamed, right? Obviously you want to be a little bit more aggressive and not just wait it out and have it, you know, try something less aggressive. I, I can speak a little bit to the comparison of the... Uh products to others. One, we've been using, we use, we use a lot of different products in our clinics. And I can tell you the Zocular products are, are right there at the top of our patient satisfaction part. And it's not the cheapest. It actually, there is a, a decent retail on those, which does give you a decent margin on not just the Zest, but also the Zocular products. They, they, Peter and his team work very hard to keep the pricing fair for the doctors to be able to make a little bit of money on the products. And so I think it's a combo of being a little bit different. It's not everywhere. It's not in every Walmart and every, you know, yes, but it's also, it does work. It is, you know, more natural than probably some of the other stuff out there, okra based. It is ophthalmology designed and that helps. And, it's, and the packaging is great. And everything, everything really about it's really, really been pretty, pretty awesome. And we were a little hesitant at the beginning because it's, probably 10 to $15 more than everything else in that range. But patients come back, they love it. They really do like it. So, I mean, we, you know, we, we, we like Peter anyways, but I think the, the products do speak for themselves very well. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And this kind of more on the practice management side of things, you know, we've had Zest treatment and Blefex and precursor, well, I guess a side cursor of AB Max is no longer in existence as well. We've tried a bunch of different things in the office. 
what I, I like about the zest treatment and, you know, not to, you know, just make a whole advertisement about Dr. Pham's product, but is that it accomplishes multiple things in one task, right? If you have so many different options of different things to do for treatments and you can have something that tackles inflammation as well as obstruction, you're hitting two out of the three main things right away for the patient and then just have to build up their, their production as well. So instead of overwhelming the patient with all these different options of in-home and in-office treatments and everything we do, the more we can condense it for the patient, the better it is for them to be able to tolerate. Getting we- back just to the basics of the, <clears throat> the whole dry work up there, not to talk anymore about the disaster, but it's really important to evaluate them clinically, right? Is there some things that they, we can do just as solo, right? I'm a big, huge fan of lacmo irrigation, which I think is really underutilized and underrecognized there. And if we can't solve that nidus of inflammation on the ocular surface, almost anything we do is not going to work, right? And so I think that's one of the, <clears throat> the fundamental issues with any sort of dry workup is really evaluate the ocular surface system, right? Where <clears throat> there's only a few places where inflammation is coming from. Right, it's, and we all know it's an inflammatory disorder, and inflammation comes from blood, and it comes from another source. And the most, and so that's why almost all treatments that we have are directed towards the eyelid, because that's where all the vasculature is. Right, we're not going to, you know, attack the conch too much, even though that's the second most vascularized structure in the, around the eye. And the third major source of inflammation, right, is coming actually from a place where hardly anyone is looking, and that's coming from the lacmo sac, right? It's, it's actually a hollow chamber that basically collects water, proteins, bacteria, and debris. You mix all those together, and you get sewage. And so what you have literally is a sewage tank in next to our eye that is connect directly connected to the tear lick, right? And so literally it, that, that our whole LACMO system is literally an extension of our GI tract, right? The GI tract doesn't start in our oral pharynx, it actually starts in our eye, right? Because everything drains, comes down into the LACMO sac, down the LACMO duct, into our oral pharynx and out through our GI tract there. And so why this is so important and why it's often missed is because it's hidden behind bones practically, right? And if you think about it, it also explains why punctal plugs work. Punctal plugs, as we know, doesn't work on everyone, but it does work. And it doesn't work for the reasons I think a lot of us have been taught, which is that it somehow raises or increases the aqueous set point on the eye, right? That kind of doesn't make scientific sense just from what we learned in the sixth grade, right? Because our eye, it's at a pretty homeostatic level, right? At any point in time, it's neither tearing nor is it turning into a raisin. So you know that there is a balance between the amount of tear that's being produced and the amount that tear is being lost or, or uh, taken away from the eye, right? So rate in is equal to rate out. And now if we were to block the tear duct, right? We know it drains about 30, 70% of the tear. Right. And so you would expect that on almost everyone we put a plug in, you would have a piffer because now you're upsetting the rate out and you've probably done nothing to rate in, right? Because you only put in some silicone plug there. Right. So you expect almost everyone to have a piffer because the rate out is less. 
but no one does practically, right? It's really rare to have punctal plugs cause epiphora. And so obviously there's some sort of compensatory mechanism that basically now balances the rate in and rate out again, right? And the only place it can come out from is either through increased conge absorption or through th increased linking for evaporation, right? Now, if there is an, and most likely there's a combination of both to prevent the epiphora. If it's from an evaporated process, what happens? We know that only water evaporates, protein, bacteria aren't just gonna fly up into the air. And so that then causes for almost every dry, for almost every punctal plug patients, there's going to be an increase in the concentration of inflammatory mediators. And yet surprisingly, when you put in the plugs, almost no one gets increased in dry eye, right? So that tells us something really important. It tells us that the eye actually has a spare capacity to quench inflammation, right? But yet punctal plugs still help in a, in a uh, portion of these patients. So that then tells us that there is another source of inflammation that overwhelms the spare capacity for inflammation control. The only place it comes from that possibly is gonna be coming from the lacrimal sac which basically, because there's such a huge concentration gradient, high concentration in the sac, it's gonna flow back into the tear lake. And the punctal plugs is literally just blocking that retrograde flow. And so on almost any patient that where the, the patients are really excited and really happy about their punctal plugs, and, and they probably wanna kill you if you tell them to remove it, but actually if you remove it and you copiously irrigate the tear sac, you get a better clinical response because of this basic you know, conservation of mass principle. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've seen actually. And, you know, Dr. Evans and I have this conversation probably once every couple of months is, you know, I actually probably remove more punctal plugs than I put in <laughs> at this point. And not to saying that they don't work for some patients, but most of the patients who are coming in for me, I'm actually doing the inflammatory MMP9 testing. And if they have a really strong response that, you know, we're, I don't, I don't want to plug up the drain and keep more inflammation particles, the MMP9s right on the eye surface. So either if I do feel like that they would benefit from the plugs, I'm also going to start them on some pretty heavy anti-inflammatory treatment, whether it be some of the pharmaceutical products like Restasis, Cydra, Sequa, et cetera, a concurrent steroid that goes along with it even amniotic membrane treatments to help decrease the inflammation on the ocular surface. If I'm going to be putting a plug in with somebody who really just even looks like they have that major inflammation to go through. Peter, when would you recommend irrigating the lacrimal sac? So for me, I irrigate almost everyone that walks through the door, but there are some, there are certain signs that, and symptoms that are fairly good indicators that there is some sort of lack of tear sac problem, right? The cl our classic teaching is that, oh, don't even think about tear flow unless there's epiphora, right? And then you gotta do a DNI. But if you look carefully, um, a lot of patients that will have inferior nasal conjunctival chalasis. That's almost a telltale sign that there is an issue with the tear sac because that's where the that's where the highest concentration gradient is going to be once there's a retrograde flow concentration flow back into the tear lake. There, it's going to concentrate where it comes out, right? And then it, the concentration gradient decreases the further you get away from the punctum there. And so, anytime you see any sort of nasal conch chalasis, I would always just clean it out. And if there's a lot of vascularity on the lid margin, all of that vascularity is going to contribute to increased inflammatory response that's going to be drained into that sac. And so I always 
to a, a irrigation on those patients as well. And then of course, any patients where you've already tried antibiotics, steroids, amniotic membrane, the whole shebang, and they still have dry eye. Well, there's, there's only one place where there's so much inflammation that can come from, right? If you already clean up the lids, you and you wash out the eye, and it's, and they still have and they still have dry within seconds, right? It's it's unusual, right? The blood can't just send out inflammation that quickly. The only place it comes from is coming come from that sac. And so that those are the patients I would hopelessly irrigate. And you really have to irrigate with several saline, uh, several mLs of saline. You can't just drip one or two drops in there and call it a day. And one way you can tell that there's an issue is that the minute that it flows down the into the back of the mouth, it's going to taste nasty. It literally tastes like sewage. They'll tell you that in four-letter words, usually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, and, and then that that's really tells you that there's an issue. Where And how does one learn how to do that irrigation and what is the tool used? Because it's not a needle you're putting in there, it's something else. Yeah, it's, I, I always like to use a blunt tip cannula. The reason I like that is because, and you know, we're always taught classically to numb up the eye and, and dilate the punctum. But there's really no need to numb because our lid margin has very little pain receptors, right? The only time you have pain is when you start mucking around with the mucosal surface. So you don't want to obviously poke on the conch, right? And the only time you're going to touch the mucosal surface is the one you, you're kind of iffy and you only go in about two or three millimeters and then you torque the cannula. Now that cannula is touching the mucosal surface of the cannuliculus. That's painful. Now the second pain point comes in when you start irrigating and there's a distal obstruction beyond the sac, then that obviously causes the backflow that then fills the sac quickly and expands, right? Expansion of any mucosal surface, like you know, we have a, a in our gut, is quite painful. And so you, you always want to start off slowly when you start pushing down on a syringe and then increase the flow as much as the patient can tolerate. Now, if you if you just press a little bit and they're jumping out of the chair because it, it's so painful, pull out replace that saline with an anesthetic, um, lidocaine is what I use, like to use, and then numb up the entire sac. Once the sac is numb, you can basically do almost anything to that area, to the lacmo system, you'll be okay. The caveat is that if you do numb up the sac, you, chances are it's going to, the anesthetic is going to drip to the back of the throat, in which case the throat is now numb, and you want to always advise them don't eat or drink, otherwise they're going to choke on their food half the time, and that's the last thing you want after an irrigation. Dr. Yeah. The other day when we were talking to Vision Expo, I want to think the gauge and the length of the cannulas that you prefer. Yes. I wish I had a receipt. I have a, I don't have one here, but anyway, it's a 25 gauge cannula. You don't, a 25 gauge cannula will fit through almost any punctum without dilation. If you do the 23, it's a little bit big for about 60, about 30, 40% of the punctum because, oh, that's the other thing. Lynn, just to your point there, if the punctum is stenose, that means that the uh, there's a, probably an issue with the sac as well, because the, that's the chronic inflammation is what's causing the constriction of the punctum there. So that's the, the another telltale sign that you need to really irrigate that sac there. But a 25-gauge cannula will, will go through a, a stenose punctum with no problem. And you want it to be blunt tipped so that it comes down like this and not have an open bore, because that open bore will catch on the mucosa surface as it's going in. And when you do go in, you always want to push and head towards that common canal. 
you don't want to just push two or three millimeters and start kind of torquing. Otherwise, that's going to be kind of painful. Another question, actually, maybe Dr. Pham would be able to provide information on it. Are there curved cannulas that would be, you know, a good use for the, the procedure itself? I don't like to use curved because, again, because of the curve, it torques right onto the mucosa surface. So I just like to use a straight one and go straight through. Unless you want to curve it in and then start the probing in a, in a more mm -hmm. aggressive fashion. But I, us I usually don't do that. Yeah, for like a decorosocitis or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've had a, quite a few people join us here. So there's 41 people here. Thanks to everyone for being here, by the way. It's pretty awesome that we're able just to hang out and chat about dry eye. At any time, you can unmute yourself and literally ask a question or just put it in the chat and I'll ask it for you. So don't be shy. We're all here to, to share knowledge. Sure. I, uh, you know, just to not keep the dead air, I know that early on in the, in the chat window, there were some questions about IPL. I think that a bunch of the the attendees have either purchased it or maybe looking to be able to bring it into their practices. Does anybody want to share their experience on getting started with it and you know how they've implemented it? We're gonna have an awkward silence till someone volunteers. So come on, I know. <laughs> Try to engage I you guys. Come on, I'm, 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 I'm yeah, I see a bunch of IPL people on here too. I know you guys. I've seen your invoices. I'm joking. <laughs> Well, I guess to preface while we wait for someone to talk about if, how they've instituted IPL, you know, what is the theory behind, you know, IPL for, for starters, and it seems to be the new frontier, you know, how did it just all of a sudden get the popularity, you know, did it have to do with the FDA approval or what? Out of curiosity, how many people here have an IPL machine here, maybe I'm not sure if I can see that I do the little reaction, but raise your hand if you like, raise your hand like this if you have an IPL. I'm just curious as to how many people. Yeah, good people idea. There's group. a little reaction thing at the bottom. So, right next to the show caption or record to your right, you'll see a raise hand or. I just put one up. So, we have two. I'm going to give it two raised hands because we actually have two IPLs in our practice. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three, five. We have five IPLs here. Six, seven. Gosh, we're winning. We should win the lottery. I think if we all bought one lottery ticket, mm -hmm. we could just split the funds here. I think, is it, what is it, a billion dollars now? <laughs> At least. <laughs> okay. Anyone want to share? You can unmute yourself. You don't have to be on camera. Just tell us, you know, how long have you had it? How's it working? What is the patient feedback? <laughs> You know, your treatment path, is it four, four treatments? Are you expressing, you know, after that, any so, type of nutraceuticals? This is the main reason why I came on here tonight was because we literally, we purchased an IPL about three months ago, but we delayed getting it until September. And we finally just had our training and everything a couple of weeks ago. So we actually worked did treatments on six staff members, no, five staff members and all three of us docs. Just so we knew we did full face, we did just dry eye treatments, all that kind of stuff. So we had the experience of how to express to the patients on what it was going to feel like. We, we have about 
35 to 40 patients already signed up for this. Wow. Um, Yeah, over the last six plus months that we knew we were going to be probably purchasing this, we just kind of put it out there and patients were like, yeah, absolutely. So David, sorry to interrupt, David. Where where do you practice? I, I guess let's get some geography to help tell the story a little. Sure. I'm in the middle of nowhere now. I'm halfway between Erie and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I have a pretty rural practice. So we literally will are currently the only IPL within a two-hour drive. Okay. And before IPL, before you made that purchase, what was your dry protocol? Um, it was basically hot compresses, lid scrubs, uh, hypochlorous acid, uh, omega-3s, and then... Restasis, Zydra, et cetera, topical, uh, Hysubis, those kind of things. Okay, cool. Thanks for the, the background sure. there. It helps. Yeah. And so... So, I, David, just a, a quick question. What was your decision point that I triggered you to purchase the IPL? Was it because you're spending like three days a week doing dry eye now, or it's just because another reason? Because, well, I've been doing this for 23 years now, and I have just seen the dry eye population skyrocket and it's not just old people over 40 who ever said that yeah it's also 15 and 16 year olds and so it, it's not just old people per se even though that's a ma- major portion of my population but i'm seeing tons of kids with dry eye as well and it's my bone and gland dropout excessively and so i had been researching ipl for the last couple of years and I thought, eh, when this first, when I first heard about it, I'm like, yeah, light, this is too good to be true. I don't think so. Anyways, make a long story short, I went and signed up for, for treatment myself at one trade show that I went to, and I fell in love with it. And needless to say, just like many of us, when we go to these trade shows, we drank a little too much and stayed out, <laughs> a, little, <laughs> and stayed out a little too late. And I had zero bags under my eyes for over a week. And I literally had half a treatment and I'm like, this is the real deal stuff. And my eyes felt amazing. And so I purchased the device on a whim that weekend. So so we've kind of been instituting our protocol. We went to a conference a couple of weeks ago and listened to a speaker about having a flow sheet, basically. I think it was basically what Ryan was talking about earlier and, and Aaron having this, that flow sheet of the severity of dry eye and how to pick and choose what you're going to use on those patients. So if I have a super mild asymptomatic dry eye patient, am I going to go to IPL anytime soon? Probably not because that's kind of overkill. And then it looks like we're the used car salesman trying to sell them everything and pay for my kid's college. Um, so that that's kind of where I'm at right now. We we have the enthusiasm, we have that kind of stuff and the machine is ready to go, but it's finding the time to institute that whole entire process. And it sounds like Ryan, you also, it took you guys years to kind of get to that point as well. So it kind of makes me feel good. So yeah. (laughs) Can someone, go ahead. Go ahead, Perry. Uh, I was saying, can someone someone who has a lot of experience with IPL, hey Lee, how's it going? He's in uh, Australia. so. Welcome. Welcome Dr. Farman has a lot of experience with IPL. Feel free to unmute at any time. I know, Lee, you're a plethora of information, so. 
but um i'll let you go ryan so sure yeah absolutely so when it came down to treatments and and putting in something like ipl into the practice or for example lipoflow that has a set amount of time it was tricky right after the first part because people would you know, want to schedule treatments, but then you have to jump back and forth into a comp exam and then refract a six-year-old and then, you know, back over to, you know, this, that, and the other. So we tried that at the beginning. We got through about the first three or six months of implementing it and getting our staff pretty proficient at doing the procedure on a timely basis so that it could flow somewhat well within our exams. But as it became too much, then we had to start designated certain days that were more for maybe an afternoon of IPL treatments or morning on in Tuesdays and an afternoon on Thursdays so that you know, had that designated technician who might be the most proficient at helping you out and getting everything set up. And then it was kind of one after another, you know, a procedure as we kind of go through. That helped out immensely. And then especially with instituting protocol, if any of you guys have done research on the, the protocols themselves, we use Dr. Perriman's uh, protocol in our practice group. Laura Perriman has a great series of dry master videos that she walks you through not only the settings of the IPL, but how to perform the procedure but all the way from start to finish, cleanup and everything included. Um, she uses the cornea shields, the laser graded cornea shields like we do, and actually does some direct application right to the upper lids as well as the lowers as well. And we found those protocols to be really, really helpful. And Perry had mentioned a little bit before about, you know, doing four treatments, how many. It's obviously case by case basis about how many treatments you do. But since most of the clinical data is showing really great effects after at least that initial four treatments set, we, we actually made a package deal that individually you can pay for a session in our area for about 350 for a dry eye treatment session. But if you buy the four pack together, we'll charge 1200. And then we guarantee that compliance of you're going to be here every two weeks to make sure you're getting your session to go. That's pretty much where we're at as well. That seems to be the consensus. And I, I kind of softballed that because patients asked how much it was going to be when we got the new technology. And I said, yeah, it's going to be somewhere around $1,000, for the four treatments or 300 plus individually, if you want to go down that route. And they seem to be on board, especially if they're paying, like Aaron said, $600 or like my parents are paying $600 for stasis because that's their copay with their insurance, you know? So, yeah, I think that makes sense, especially long-term to, to implement it that way. I'd like to jump in for a second. And, you know, David, uh, congrats on getting the IPL. It's a big step. I know it's not a cheap piece of equipment to bring in. I think you're, you're confident in your practice, which is great that you can handle it and you can, your team can handle it. What if, where do you have your IPL? Is it in a separate room or is it in the, uh, where, where do you have it located? No, not currently. We're, when we do start this treatment process, we're going to be wheeling it from exam room to exam room. Or like Ryan talked about, we, always, we also toyed around with having just an IPL day where we have it, where one room is that treatment room. And then the other room could be a dry eye workup room. We don't have enough room to have a separate dry eye spa area, but that's in the near horizon because we're probably going to be adding onto the building because we're out of room as well because I hired a third job. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of pieces in motion, but eventually my goal is to eventually have it in a whole separate little suite that's going to be spa-like. So, yeah. I guess my follow-up question is, you know, I'm, I'm a little con not concerned at all, but it's more of we hear it a lot where people bring in the new equipment. They've got all low hanging fruit. You've got the last six months of people that, you know, you've been cherry picking and doing it. And after, it sounds like when you are selling 
insurance, you start calling all your friends and family and you, you know, you're doing pretty well the first few months and then it hits you and you're, you, you know, now you have to drive in new, new patients that are going to know about IPL. So, I mean, one thing we did, we walked into our office and said, yeah, how would a patient know that we have an IPL? How would they even know that we're a dry eye specialty clinic? They have no idea. We're very retail. Glasses still pay our bills and, and, and our medical is very, is very good, but we need something to, to bring that conversation to the forefront. Not that it's over, overbearing, but something that shows, hey, we're excited about something new that we brought into the practice. And, and unfortunately, usually those devices go into a dark room with nothing around it until you can figure that out. That's what we did for six months. It wasn't until we built a tiny room. It's a tiny little room in our first clinic that we brought it in three years ago. But just talking about dry eye and bringing the awareness and building the environment around your dry eye clinic that you guys are, or even if it's just a room, all excited about. You know, the patient hits your, your pre-test room, they may never even see that room that has that equipment in there. And if they're in the pre-test room, most pre-test rooms are a perfect place to put things. People often put all their expensive $200,000, $300,000 worth of equipment in a dark little room with nothing on the walls. It doesn't look as pretty as the rest of the office. We went out and we put glass doors and made it really one of the best looking rooms in the place, just because that's where all of our, mo our money was in the technology. So now that you've spent that kind of money, I would just recommend you, you really build something around it that, that just tries to build that pipeline. Because even the mild patients that you talked about, you're not going to throw IPL. You should still plant the seed is, listen, hey, Ms. Jones, you're lucky that you don't need some of the stuff that we offer. What you, all you need is now, you know, is this is a over the counter product. But down the road, just so you know, we have everything here. And, and you're going to, it's funny, I think Dr. Beck can speak to this. We're doing just as much. Well, it's funny, he changed his background, Dr. Beck's back. That's our pre-test. Yeah, yeah you were talking about it, so I had to do it. I so had to, it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty room. So, but it, it can be anything. Just, you know, usually it's a dark room, but but I think you should, you know, get that pipeline going for these patients because it's going to be a stark drop-off when you get past those first 30. Uh, what I was going to say to Beck was, you're going to get a lot of people that, the beauty aspect of it as well of the IPL and and it, it snowballs and that's how it did with us so the wrinkles and the, it's not just inflammation and dry eye so it turn in it's funny if you have an IPL it kind of turns into an aesthetics little wing if you, right. and, you build it and if you build that, it it will come kind of yeah absolutely and that was one of the main reasons I, I should say this man that, that was one of the other little things that put me over the edge of purchasing was the aesthetic part of it because I thought hey this is going to be a great Thing, even though we can't technically advertise it as that, that's going to get the patients to come back in the door. Just I, I, my two staff members, one had pretty severe acne that she was dreadfully insecure about, and she didn't even want to take off her makeup to have this treatment done. And then the other one had pretty bad rosacea. And even after just their very first treatments, they look amazing. So they're chomping at the bit to get their second treatments done <laughs> so they can keep going with it. So I have another gentleman patient that has really severe dry eye that I put on the list and he has rosacea grade 10 and I, I he's a rough, tough guy, a blue collar worker. And he, I, I showed him a picture of what it could do. And he goes, hell, if you can make me look like that, I'll pay the money. And it was little things like that, that I, I just kind of were planting those seeds early on. And so I think we just have to make sure that my younger docs also keep doing that as well. But yeah, thank you for the, the ideas, Aaron. That's great. We have so a, a question from, we have a question from Leanne. She wants to know if you feel using corneal shields yields better results than laser shields, whoever can answer that. 
So for us in our practice, I personally do the the laser graded cornea shields just because we we having that direct application to the lid. Yes, the light does travel. And we can talk about the science of the photon movement of through the contact gel and actually passing through to the upper lids, but getting more of that exposure to those direct upper lids has yielded some better results. The thing about IPL, if we kind of talk about the science behind it a little bit, is not only is it a, you know, a, a treatment for meibomian glands in general, but it also is demodicidal, right? Because it will fry the little, bu- little, little buggers that are out there as well. It will tighten the skin in the area, right? Which actually can lead to better compression of the MGs as well and get be a better, better production, as well as apply a little bit of heat to liquefy a little bit of the mybum that's in there as well. So we're hitting it from multiple different angles. And if we avoid touching those mybomian glands throughout the upper lid, which are responsible for a fair amount of our mybum, then I think we're doing the patient, in my personal opinion, just a little bit of a disservice by, by not going you know, direct contact. Aaron, I have another question or Ryan up as well. How do you handle this aesthetic part of it when technically that's not in our scope of care? I don't know what it's like in Florida, but in Pennsylvania, that's definitely not in our scope of care. So how do you handle that if patients are coming in and asking specifically for that? Or how does, how does that work in your practice after the last three years? Sure. So just to kind of touch on that for us, Florida is where we practice. And IPL is technically a gray area in Florida because optometrists are allowed to do periorbital non-surgical procedures, but there is nothing specifically saying we can or can't do IPL specifically. So legislation hopefully be coming soon to be able to guarantee us that we have this FDA procedure, FDA approved procedure that we can actually say, yes, absolutely can do it. In the meantime, we've addressed it two ways. Number one, I mentioned to patients that it is a potential side effect of the treatment. Ideally, we are going to treat dry eye, but one of the potential side effects is that we might be tightening the skin in the area. And I apologize in advance if that happens. And so <laughs> that, that tends to, you know, alleviate a little bit of the stress about learning about the procedure in general. The second thing is to, we also have a close association with a medical doctor in the area, a cornea specialist, who will come to our clinic once a month to be able to do some full facial IPLs. Since we're limited to periorbital in the state of Florida, for the patients who want that full facial treatment, then we have them there as a service to be able to go with too. And we've contracted that out and being able to splitting fees and things as well, since the non-covered service was pretty easy to be able to create that contract. In, in Australia, we're licensed to be able to treat rosacea. So we can do full face treatments, which oh, is wow. great. We, yeah, so I like to go after those. If we're using the toy-off settings, if we happen to be able to reduce some pigmentation or get some other secondary benefits, then, then that's a bonus for us. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't market anything for, for beauty, you know, as far as external marketing. It's all dry eye. And I, it, it, again, it's like one of those, if you look close enough, you'll probably find dry eye in anyone, you know, especially the older population. So it, it really hasn't become a big issue, but we do have an MD that, that comes in and does some things that we don't do in our scope. We have a nurse on site as well, one of our techs is a nurse. So, but, but overall, it's not our focus, but it is a side effect. Again, if, you, if we stick to the dry eye, I have plenty of, of people that 
not only that, but they, they see the beauty products that we sell in our office that are good for the eye. They jump on that, but it's kind of a, you know, the beauty, beauty is a good side effect. Okay. Thank you. Someone has a question about this from Bradley Schuster. He wants to know any thoughts on how you decided which IPL device to add. So Gary, I saw you mentioned some name I've never heard of. There's obviously Luminous, which is probably the market leader in terms of recognition and number of units in the field. Gary, how did you decide which unit? Well, can you hear me? Yep. All right. So... I, was, I went to Crystal Brimer's dry course and looked at the luminous and everything. And then I had already purchased a few years ago Pelavay radial frequency, which is a previous version of Tempsure. And so I was familiar with Sinusure. And the good thing about their IPL unit is they have a melanin reader. Basically, it's a skin reader that you stick up and you measure four different spots on the skin so you don't have to kind of guess whether they're a type one or a type two or type three Fitzpatrick reading you're talking about yeah as far because you know you can't do darker pigmented skin or you'll burn it and so i purchased the sinusure you know, I just made a comment on there about some of the docs on here, and I don't know who all on here has. I, I think we've only got a few of us with IPL. I do think my personal experience has been that IPL is a lot more hype. I know it's great, but don't be afraid about starting dry eye with Lipaflow and at home therapies. I started out with radio frequency alone, and I find that you, you know, treatment with heat and expression like radio frequency and lipoflow can help probably, you know, 70, 80% of our patients. IPL is really good for inflammatory dry with rosacea and stuff like that. But I think a lot of people are starting to use it on everyday patients for dry and selling it as, you know, this is, there's good, better, best. IPL is best, lipoflow is better at home is here. That's not necessarily the case in reality. So I think a lot of us, me included, have bought into the IPL. And I, I, I've, I, quite frankly, I'm more successful with radio frequency and lipoflow than I am closing deals with IPL. And if I look at my treatment results, they're, they're you know, just as good if the patients don't have rosacea and inflammatory dry eye. And so, you know, my, my opinion is, look, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I went out and bought an IPL. I got the, all the units and stuff. Biggest mistake I've ever done in my career. And I've owned six practices, sold them. I'm a solo doc now. And uh, I'm practicing for fun three days a week and riding off into the sunset and doing all this shit because I'm having fun and love it. God, guys and gals. You know, IPL to me, if I let, let, if I put out the treatments and the return on investment versus 
radio frequency and at home therapy and lipoflow, you guys would laugh at me and say, God, how could he be this successful and this stupid all in one, you know? (laughs) That's my take. Ask me a question. It's like my buddy from Brazil says, my life is an open book, you know, but there's many pages missing and I might not talk about my mistakes, but this is one I'll talk about. So. Well, you know, I think actually, Gary, you bring up a really good point in, in, in the fact that whenever you're evaluating bringing a new treatment into the practice, take a look at your patient base first. You know, take a look at what are the most prevalent diagnoses that are coming in and then what's going to be the most effective way to treat it. Um, so I practice in Boca Raton, Florida, and Boca Raton has a, a, a high Caucasian patient base with a lot of ocular rosacea, just we're kind of running rampant throughout here. And so we knew that it was going to be a really effective treatment for us because we saw the need in probably, you know, 60, 70% of the patients who were actually walking through the door. You know, if I practiced in an area where we didn't have patients who would even qualify to have IPL done due to their Fitzpatrick skin types, then it wouldn't have made sense for me to be able to take a look at that technology in, in coming through. So I think you made a really good point. Let's, mm. you know, take, take a look deep at your patients first. Exactly. And also, <clears throat> I think Alan has a question here. You're, you're raising your hand. I don't have a question, Perry. You know that I, I got this stuff. <laughs> So Perry and I, we bought this gadget, what, four years ago. I'm on my last payment, Perry. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I know. We walked up to the booth and I negotiated it for you. You should be thankful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he did. Now, you know, I guess what bothers me, guys, is we, we now have the approved version. Well, when Perry and I bought it, there was no approved version. And they didn't say something like, well, you know, this isn't FDA approved. And later we're going to make one that's FDA approved. And we're going to make it look like you guys are all dirt. Because <laughs> you bought one the M22 four years model. before. Four years before. You know, and all of you guys are coming on going, oh, look, look, look. No, Perry and I, well, Ray and I have been doing this for four stinking years. So... I have a little bit of insight into IPL, and I'm getting ready to sell mine, Perry. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to get radio frequency. Okay. Well, so if there's any buyers in here, raise your hand. No, no, I got, I got a buyer. I got a <laughs> okay. buyer. You know, and and so here's the here's a little dirty secret. You can now buy the M22 for fifty thousand instead of a hundred for Optilite. And do you honestly believe there's any difference? Hey, I actually, Hello? you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. I actually agree with that. You know, as we, so we have an M22. That's the IPL that I use for our procedures oh, and treatment. Oh, look, we've got a little sticky thing. You know, when you could put the little small crystal on it and do all the same stuff. I've been doing the same stuff for four years, and everybody's all excited. And people around town, they say, "Oh, that Panzer guy, he's got the M22. It's not FDA approved." Well, okay, so your OptiLite's approved for targets to targets, big whoop. And you got half the filters I got, big whoop. And you paid twice the price I paid, big whoop. But my, but you know, I, yeah, I'm sorry to come in and take over, but uh, <laughs> the truth be known, the truth be known, IPL doesn't hold a candle to low level light, not a, not, not a flickering of a candle. Well, talking about low level light. 
So what it what is LLT? I think that's by uh, is it Marco? Yeah, the red it's mask Esprion. thing that goes over your head. What, what give yeah. us the science on it? What is your? Oh my God, you don't know point. the science on it. Okay, so it was developed by NASA, the space program. Okay, it has believable utilization. Now, think about this for a minute. Espion has a unit that is low-level light and an IPL, which they sell for about 40000 while all you folks are out there screaming for a $100,000 machine, which, by the <laughs> way, you think they negotiated before, Perry? They ain't nothing compared to what they're doing now. I mean, people walk in there and they tell them it's like 180000 and they wind up getting it for eighty. So, I mean, we, we squeezed them for about 25. They're squeezing now way, way lower. But the, uh, so the low-level light therapy is called photobiomodulation. And I got to tell you guys, this, this thing makes IPL look like, I don't know, a horse and buggy. And, and again, remember, you're doing this now. I've been doing it for, well, I've been doing it for 43 years, but I did IPL for four years and I've done low-level light for two. And the difference is night and day. So again, I'm not going to dissuade all you guys from going to spend a hundred grand, but a low level light kicks ass. Mm -hmm. uh, in 15 minutes, you can make your patient better. Now there's a downside to that. You don't make as much money because if you fix them quick, you're not going to make twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500. So but what I do is I combine the two. And the reason I'm going to switch to radio frequency is because it can be done on, how shall I say this politely, darker complexions. Mm -hmm. Now, you're in Boca Raton. you got a lot of blonde-haired, blue-eyed, redheads or whatever. I'm in <laughs> Texas. I've got people with a little slightly darker skin tones. And when I first got my IPL, I did Hispanic people. I mean, I did their whole damn face. It looked like somebody beat them with a, with a shovel. And, <laughs> no, and I mean, that's the way they looked before I started, if you will. <laughs> but I can tell you that the problem that you face with IPL, God, I hate to get into this, is that the results are not instantaneous. And so you have to sell them on the fact that you're going to do four treatments before they're going to feel some better. Whereas if you're doing low level light, they're going to feel better right away. So what I tell some of them, if they happen to be a, you know, a redhead and has rosacea, I say, well, we do a combination of the two. And I do the IPL first, which kind of damages the skin, truth be known. And then I do the low-level light therapy to kind of improve the skin. Low-level light therapy, I'm really surprised that all of you hadn't really heard much about it. We have, we have one person, Dr. Yeah. Ryan Winters yeah. here has LL. You guys okay. have it too? We have as well. Yeah. Okay. yeah, we have. Yeah. That's and, great. And, and tell well them what the it. results are. Tell them what the results are. It, it, it's, a, it's a phenomenal technology. You know, we got it about a year and a half ago the marco unit that has different colors of low level light actually available depending on the different mass that you choose so essentially it's called photobiomodulation right where what it's doing is using consistent photons of light set at the right frequency to provide treatments to the meibomian glands the different colors and the different frequencies have different effects the red is supposed to be beneficial for the meibomian glands the blue is more for anterior anti-inflammatory processes. The yellow is for adipose and fat-related tissue that's in the area as well. And instead of doing these quick insults of pulses, like you had mentioned, into that, that periorbital area, 
this is more in rejuvenation and trying to use kind of like the same technology between the rejuvenation beds and UV tanning beds that are out there as well. And the results of that, I agree with you. I think that com combining the low level and the intense light is how I describe it to patients is that we're attacking it from two fronts. You know, we're hitting down the inflammation and the demodex and from the IPL and then rejuvenating from the LLT and then comboing it yeah, that way. And it's been you know, phenomenal. And then also, I know we were talking about Fitzpatrick skin types and you know, the limited limitations on patients. One of the other IPL devices that we got as well, sorry, you want to even add more fuel to the fire, is from the ESW, the French company, they have an IRPL, if anybody has heard of it before. It's intense regulated pulse light that actually takes the pulses and spreads the energy out over more pulses rather than the, the traditional Toyo Superman protocols. And that spreading out makes it a little bit more comfortable procedure, but actually able to treat down to Fitzpatrick five, as far as the skin types are concerned. Well, so um, can so you with radio frequency, right? I mean, or is what you're describing actually radio frequency? You know, it's, a, it's truly an IPL, but it's just a different regulation mm -hmm. on how it's you know, well, the radio the frequency instrument comes with IPL and radio frequency. Ah, so yeah, we haven't got a chance you to play with seen it, that one, but you weren't, I, you weren't seen it, but I didn't get a chance to play with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, all I'm saying is that when I when I have these people that look as skin color as me and they're Fitzpatrick four, I can't go to five, you know. And so with the radio frequency, you have two heads one which is IPL and one which is radio frequency, and you can go down to six. And uh, so since I have a, how shall I say it politely, darker complected patient base, I need something for those people. Now their low level light therapy is unfreaking believable. So I will share a, an interesting story with you about my low level light therapy. My brother- What is the, what is the, what is the cost of a unit Roughly. Okay, well, if you get the combined, I think it's about 40. If you get just the, the red mask, it's like 26. The difference is that they, they sell you the mask by the minute. So it costs it's a you per minute charge? To, yep, you have to, by a dollar a minute. But yeah, the lights only last so long, so many years. But for, no, no, they have a dongle on it. It's not got anything to do with how long the damn light would last. The light would probably last a year. But they put a Time dongle on it. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, well, but let's let's be truthful, Perry. Do you want a company that sells you a one-shot wonder and goes out of business, or do you want a company that's still in business? And so, if they sold you a mask and you could use it for the next five years, they would probably go out of business. We have seen many, many one-shot wonder companies, and they have to have a, a consumable, or they won't be in business. Now, I'm going to tell you guys what's coming, and I'm not trying to get off the subject. Low-level light is going to be used for dry macular degeneration. It's going to be used for myopia control. And it's, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable where this is going to. Okay? Now, so, so what I was going to tell you was that the, the difference is that you can make the person happy on the first visit. I've been doing IPL for four years, and nobody walked out happy on the first visit. If they were, it was placebo because it does take time for those vessels to constrict. And so does low level, does IPL work? Absolutely. Is it the one shot wonder that Dr. Perriman or Dr. Toyos or Dr. Epstein used to promote it as? It is not. It is a process and people aren't always interested in a lengthy process. 
I do the low level light in one week. Okay. Now I don't make as much as you make on the IPL, although I have an IPL, but I just find that if I look at those lids and they don't have a single red vessel on them, I'm going to have a little tougher time finding the placement for the IPL compared to low level light therapy. Now, if you look at low-level light therapy, it's currently used by the hair growth companies. You know, they, they sell that Capella cap for $2,000. Bosley sells a cap. It grows hair. If you look at Tommy Copper, they're selling it for your knee, for your back. This is not voodoo. This is not voodoo. This is real, and it works, and it works fast. I did four of them today, okay? So... You know, I might do four of mine and make what you all make on two of yours, but my staff can do mine. I mean, so Alan, you're saying that works really well. Um, Which kind of disease processes do you find it most helpful for? Obviously, it sounds like it works in your practice very well for MGD. You're 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 going to really, you're going to freak when I tell you what I'm going to tell you. Ah, Whole show of hands. How many of you test osmolarity? No hands. What a surprise. Okay. Now so, we got we got a few we got a few here. Just okay. people just want to put in the chat who does tear lab or tear osmolarity. Okay. We'll find out. So so here's what I'm going to tell you about all of this stuff. When you have a failure and you will. Okay? I want you to think osmolarity. Okay? And I want you to real and I'm not here to promote tear lab. They they don't pay me anything. They don't so much as give me a free tip. I'm going to tell you that if you do not have elevated osmolarity, or if you do not have a difference in osmolarity between the two eyes, you have what Dr. Brill likes to call pain without stain. And when you do all the IPL in the world, all the low-level light in the world, these people will be failures. Why? Because you're not treating the right thing. You're treating the wrong thing. You might get a little bit of a kick out of the red light, but you'll get zero kick out of IPL because you're treating the wrong thing. We've decided that everybody has meibomian gland disease. I had a lady cry in the chair today. Oh, my God, I wanted to cry myself. She's 30 years old, and she comes in. She drives 35 miles for me to be the dry eye guru. Okay, now I see some things popping up. Alan, what is your protocol? Alan, what is your protocol? Okay, so I will tell you my protocol. I do my three little machines. Everybody gets ORA, optical response analyzer, which again, people are going to go, what the hell is that? Oh, that's that damn NCT. That's no good. Okay, fine. Now we're not going to, another day. Hysteresis measurement. Yeah, then they do my eyes on barometer. I can actually see how bad they see. Nobody has one of those either. I just bought another one the other day, Perry, 20 years old, and, and I found a lady that had one with 37 uses on it. This would be like finding a 57 Chevy in somebody's garage has driven three miles. Okay. And then I do an Optimap on every single patient. Now, you all may say to me, Optimap, bah, humbug. Okay. The reason I do an Optimap on every single dry eye patient is I do not want them claiming that I have injured them. Okay, so go ahead and laugh. Everybody gets an Optimap or they get out the door. I had a lady the other day came in just for low level light or for IPL. And I said, we're going to do an Optimap. And she said, no, you just look in my eyes. I said, see that door lady? You can leave now. Well, why? I said, you see this butt behind me? 
I'm covering it. I said, mm-hmm. and you're not going to claim that I have damaged you with my low-level light or my IPL. So just take that to the bank, boys and girls, and realize that you need proof that you did not destroy their macula with your magic red light or your magic white light. Okay. So anyway, so I do these three instruments and everybody laughs at me, you know, oh my God, you're doing that. Now I go into my room where I bought my stellar new, what the hell's Firefly. Okay. Everybody know what a Firefly is? Don't know what a Firefly is. I just bought that yep. the other day, Perry. So what well, is just, a Firefly? Describe it. Not everybody knows your fancy camera tools. No, no, no. It, it's, a, it's a camera, but it does my Bohmian glance. Now, Perry, for at least eight years, I've had a keratograph, but it's a nuisance to use a keratograph. You got to take them in the other room and you got to set them up and do all this crap. Well, the Firefly is just a really nice slit lamp with my bombography on it. And so I just take my slit lamp, put it up there, pull down a lid, pow, take a picture. See, it's all about not running all over the damn office. Okay. And so I take an image of their glands of the Firefly. So I take this poor woman's glands. She's 30 years old. Best looking glands I think I've seen in months. But she's got like two of them that are gone. She goes, oh, my God, I've got glands that are gone. Are you going to shoot the top ones? I said, lady, I just shot the bottom ones. You got all of them, but like one or two. She she starts crying in the chair. I'm I'm losing my glands. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I said, lady, nobody knows if you had those two glands last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Maybe you didn't. Who knows? You know, I don't know. Did anybody else ever do my mammography on you? She's like, oh, well, no. I said, well, then you don't really know. None of us knows. I said, I see people with no glands that have no dry eye and people with all the glands in the world with dry eye. Another talk for another day. But anyway, so I do that. Then I do the tear lab. Tear lab is the most important test in the office, bar none. I don't care what any of you think. I don't care if Art Epstein thinks it was a number generator. I don't care what you all think. I've been using TierLab for 15 years, okay? 15 years. So, or 10, whatever. It's a long time. So, you can't tell me anything about TierLab when you used it 12 times. And so, you know, I had a lot of arguments with our dearly departed Art about TierLab. And Art would say the following. It doesn't change my treatment paradigm. And I would say, how can that be? How can that be? And he would say, you know, well, it just doesn't. So I'm going to tell you they don't have hyperosmolarity. You're going to fight a very, very bad battle. If they have hyperosmolarity, I'm going to say the words, most anything will work. And so when I have people with the stupid normalist osmolarity in the world, those people respond well to IPL, low-level light, Ristasis, Hydra, magic drops that I sell, but they respond well. But when they have an osmolarity that is not just normal, but superb, we are all in trouble, and you just don't know it. Maybe I should shut up. I don't want to run the cold stock. (laughs) Anyway, you get the idea. So, So I do the osmolarity, and then I tell them, you either have or don't have rosacea. If you have rosacea, and you guys are going to be doing IPL on tons of people without rosacea. So if you have it, I go in and do rosacea treatment. And yes, I use the shields. And yes, I do the lids. And all these people are afraid. Oh, I just do targets to target. No, I do the whole damn face. If the purpose of IPL is to kill Demodex, 
How are you going to kill it if you're just doing targets to targets? Oh, doesn't that sound impressive? Well, Miss Jones, we're going to do targets to targets. What's a targets? You know, but anyways, anybody have no, Alan, I appreciate the banter. This is an interesting discussion because I don't think many people have LLLT. So it's unfortunate. It really is. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, in, in person, but I think they really should look it up. There are published studies on LLT and uh, I assure you it, it acts on the mitochondria of the cell. And uh, I think what this kind of goes back to is just due diligence. There's not a one, you can't hop on the bandwagon always because everyone's buying it and there's a show special and this Alliance group has the deal. And so you actually have to audit financially what works for your practice. If you can't not afford the hundred thousand dollar machine, don't buy that. You know, maybe you need to focus your energy on getting a scribe first who can maximize your workflow efficiency in your office. That would be number one before an IPL, because you're going to need a sophisticated person to show up, do the workup, help you with the treatment and stick around for two or three years because good luck doing dry eye. If you have rotating staff coming through, it's hard. Well, Perry, what I tell my friends when they want to buy one of these is I say, you take a, I'm going to show you how to do this for free. You take a little piece of paper and you put it in your exam room. And every time you talk to a patient about dry eye, you say, Miss Jones, if I were to get a device which would assist you in clearing up your rosacea and decrease your dry eye, would you be willing to pay X? And you just, you can even put a little line on that piece of paper. You don't even have to write Miss Jones's name. And if you don't see any lines at the end of the week, don't buy it. I see my dad is on here. Ray, you there? <laughs> hey, Ray. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on here. How's how's it going? I just got back from a doctor dinner, so I think you I think you eat out every night at the doctor dinner, Ray. Well, at the academy meeting, that's true. I ate out every night. So, <laughs> well, Dad, we we're talking about we've been talking you- about. Well, let's go back. Let's go back in history. Why did you get Tear Lab a decade ago or more? Why did I get it? Yeah. He thought it was a mistake. I bought all his test kits. You did. They were expiring. They, they jammed them down our throat. We had to do something with them, Alan. <laughs> I bought them and used them all. I had 40 boxes of them. And actually, I gave, <laughs> tell, tell the truth, I gave you a tear lab unit. I don't recall I you giving me a tear lab unit. Oh, yes, you did because they replaced it. And you had an extra one then. Yeah, yeah I need to invoice you on that. I have three of them now, Ray. Three. Okay. In so any anyways, case, that why, part of the why did you get Tear Lab a, a decade ago? Why, what was the importance of that before there was all this other diagnostic equipment? Well, part of the definition of dry eye dealt with hypo hyperosmolarity, and it's still oh, Ray, in the, they've never heard that word. Don't say that word. It deals with optilite. See, no, not talking about optilite. Talking about tear osmolarity. <laughs> so tear osmolarity and and uh, part, it's still part of the latest dues definition has to do with osmolarity so but it's tricky because there's other conditions you you have to deal with you you can't just do it It has to be at the right temperature so it it is a little tricky you have to know what to do and the thing is if it's if your tear osmolarity is normal that doesn't mean that that it's normal if it's if you have a high osmolarity then you know you have a person with a problem 
But if it's normal, it doesn't necessarily give you that much information. But Ray, would you not say that when it's normal, if there is a difference between the two eyes, that is as clinically significant as a high? Yes, yeah, so, so that, it's characteristic of a dry eye that you will have a, a difference between the eyes, but you gotta make sure they didn't do drops. And it's the very first test that you do before you shine lights at the people. Because if you shine a light at a, per, at a dry eye patient, that already will, could invalidate your tear osmolarity testing. So you actually have to know what to do, how to do it, and under the right circumstances. So, but it, it's not just one test. We do a dozen tests. And that's one of, that's one of the tests. And, uh, you know, some people like MMP9 testing. And I never really could figure out why because it wasn't well, quantifiable. Where's the, where's the beef? Well, it wasn't quantifiable. And from a practice management standpoint, you, you did a lot of work and you made no money on it. So it has to work from a business standpoint. And at some point, I think Dave Kading was going to make, they did a study to help quantify it. But as far as I know, there's no quantifiable MMP9 test. And I think the tier, tier lab people were going to do a MMP9 adjunct to it. But that was several years ago. And I don't I think something I, is coming out. There was a. Yeah, there's a new one coming. Yeah, it's already been done, Ray. It's been done for years. I mean, I talk to Benjamin Sullivan all the time, and and the fact is, the device is done, but it's been getting FDA approval through COVID. That's been a mess. Well, it's been the device is made. It's not out out yet, so it's not out yet. No, no, I I agree with that, but it's not. the The problem is, MMP nine is only an inflammatory marker, whereas the osmolarity is a true dry eye marker. And, and MMP9 may be really nice when you get a normal osmolarity and you're looking to see if there's an inflammation characteristic. But as far as the gold standard, it's still the tear lab. Well, if I see, I, I could tell inflammation. I just look at the eye, look at the lids, look at the eye, you know. And, and no, that would be of- the kind of thing that Art would say. That that's You really need a number. You wouldn't look at a person and say, you have glaucoma. You would do their pressure oh. test and look Don't at their put, optic nerve. Oh, words am I out there? I mean, I, if you look at an eye and it's perfectly white and their lids are perfect, unless they use Lumify, I mean, y- you could tell inflammation, right, Dr. Pham? I mean, yeah, you can I, tell think inf- that, I think we're, we're all kind of speaking the same topic and the same subject here. It gets back to this, uh, the fact that, you know, no dry eye patient is the same. And no, no matter which type of tools and procedure we have access to, you know, it's just practice that literally makes perfect, right? I mean, I cook mainly with just chopsticks. I don't use anything else and I'm okay with it, right? But some people <laughs> do, do a lot of other things, right? And so it's just what we can make, basically use the tools that we have and just really practice at it and perfect it, right? Like like everyone here has been saying, those with the IPL do very well with it. Those with low level of light do very well with it. Those with radio frequency do really well with it because we basically over time have developed all all of the, you know, nuances that are involved in, in knowing which tools will work best for which patient, given the tool set we, we do have. And so I think this is one of the critical parameters here is just to start something, become very good at it, and then add to the repertoire of the tools there and not having to jump all in, right? It's really hard to become a great tennis player and do ballet at the same time, kind of. Yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that, you know, one of the terms that we've, you know, come across a lot is we call it paralysis by analysis, right? There's right. so many different ways that we can, you know, attack a dry patient from these, these different angles, and then we just don't know what to do. And then if you take one or two of these diagnostic tests and just practice, practice, practice over and over again, I think it goes back to kind of Jason's point. I know he's not in front of the camera right now from before. Oh, there he is. It was about when to be able to institute a certain level of treatment. Well, you start to get a feel for that when you start to do the same diagnostic test over and over and over again on these different patients and you feel for, okay, what number wise generates a mild, moderate, severe in your opinion. And then, you know, what symptom wise it goes in it because you've just, you kind of know at that point, you kind of almost developed your own internal algorithm to be able to say, yeah, I have a symptomatic patient. It's coming in with this number, but you know, there's some reason the tear osmolarity says, you know, 300 in both eyes. And so, but I know that if I do this treatment, it's still going to be really beneficial for them, even though the osmolarity was right on that borderline as well. So it makes a great point practice. That's why they call it it, right? Yeah. And, and it really, at the end of the day, it has to do with just with the knowledge and clinical acumen that we do have, right? You know, even before the advent of all the CAT scans and MRIs, right? Neurologists could localize the lesion on any stroke with just from, from an exam, right? And we kind of, we depend on instruments so much, we kind of lose the art of the exam. And I think it's one thing that we always have to come back to is the art of the exam is to look at the gestalt of the patient and not just depend on this parameter or that parameter that a test says, right? The other thing that I think is really important too, right, is that we often like to go towards tests, but every test has a uh, sensitivity and specificity, right? And we always think, oh, if a test is positive, patient must have this, and if the test is negative, they don't have that. Well, that's not really true, right? Because it all gets back to the statistical analysis, right? In any test that we do, we have to make sure that the pretest probability or prevalence rate basically is high enough in order to for the test to become useful, right? If you have a low pretest probability, let's just say something is like one in a thousand, right? No matter which test you apply to, it's probably next to worthless, no matter what the result says, right? Because only one out of a thousand is going to be having that disease. And so your sensitivity has to be basically a hundred percent in order to find that one patient. And the test now has to be accurate 999 out of that 1,000 in order to say that they don't have the disease, right? If it, that test is not accurate on that, now we're basically going to start doing workups and treatment on patients that are false positives, right? Because uh, it's, the prevalence rate is so low. And so I think it's one of the reasons why it helps to have that overall view of the patient to know what is the pretest probability that they have ocularization, that they have MGD, that they have Demodex, et cetera, et cetera. What is that pretest probability? And given that pretest probability, which test should I apply? Which treatment should I apply in order to get the results that I'm, I'm wanting? Well, per Perry, tell them, uh, am I on? Yeah, you're on. Go ahead, Dad. Okay. Uh, so we did a video of, I, I did something called the three F's of dry eye for people that don't like dry eye, fluorescein, a finger, and a flashlight. And honestly, you could do everything with fluorescein, a finger, and a flashlight. So the fact is most people don't even have the patient look down to look at their lashes, you know? And and right now, you know, new company Tarsus, that's their, that's their big theme is, you know, have people look down. So... 
you could really do just about everything. You don't need real fancy equipment because you could do my biography, just poor man's my biography by transilluminating the lids. You have to be observant, but you don't need fancy equipment. And, and I do about a dozen tests because I, I tell a patient, you know, once we make a diagnosis, the diagnosis will lead to the treatment. But the people I get, I've often seen five or six other doctors before. And we have a couple of twin females drive up from Dallas. I see you pass by 150 other doctors or maybe more. And they said, no, we saw what you did on a video and we want to come up. So a lot of people, and, and no offense, Peter, but a lot of ophthalmologists don't like dry eye. And they just say, yeah, they got a dry eye. I'm going to do a cataract surgery next week. I started them on restasis a week before. Okay, well, you know, honestly, you want a good outcome, you want good measurements, you really need to fix the dry eye or ocular surface first. So you don't need a lot of equipment, but you need, but then you need some better knowledge. So, and there's a journey for the doctor as well as the patient. Well, I'm going to kind of wrap it up here. It's getting late for, for all of us here. So dad will have you back on when you're not eating dinner. Uh, all the time, apparently. Oh, so. my, car, my car's still in the garage, so, okay. <laughs> well, it sounds, it's a nice sound booth, so you have to stay in there. Oh, is it good? I'm good in there? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Elon must know what he's doing with the audio. 26 speakers in there, so. Yeah, well, you can tweet from the car now, probably, too. So, well, anyways, I want to thank everybody for staying on. There's still, like, 28 people on here, which is quite amazing for... I would just want to know, did everybody find this helpful, motivating, hopefully, versus traditional, you know, formats that we have in the industry? We're going to be doing this another five episodes. I don't know if we'll always have the stamina to go two hours, but we'll find out. What kind of closing remarks, Aaron, Peter, and, and Ryan, what can we look forward to for future episodes here and just tonight? Well, personally, for me, I find this to be extremely exciting and fun that everyone is, uh, is participating and just giving us their viewpoints on dry eye. Yeah, I'm, I, I could definitely learned a lot tonight, both, you know, do's and don'ts, but also getting some feedback on how you guys do a charge for some screenings, the irrigating the lacrimal sac. I don't think we do that enough, clearly, Dr. Pham. So that's something we need to look at. You know, I don't know what the future, the next time, the next episodes are going to be but i'm sure we'll, we'll we'll hash it out and have a good time with it yeah no we uh, we definitely enjoyed this and again thank everybody for coming and being part of it obviously we're here because we love talking dry eye and sharing in the knowledge back and forth you know what's nice about this environment is you know, it doesn't seem like any topic is off limits so i know we touched touched on a little bit of the practice management and practice pricing stuff too so if that wants to be a focus for some of you guys during a next visit where we'll happily talk about it if you want to talk more about what treatments are working better than others, you know, we'll talk about it too in more depth and in detail, but it's, it's nice to just be able to get together with, with colleagues. So, you know, thanks to you guys for this opportunity. So next week, I, I do have a little planning I've done because we, we try not to spend our whole life around, you know, doing these zoom planning, the zoom calls. We're going to have Dr. Kerry Salzberg out of Canada. I think he's near Toronto. Shepherd Eye Clinic, I think it is, is, is his name. So he has about eight or 10, optometrist within his facility super state of the art he's got a whole dry eye room he calls it aesthetics beautiful website and uh, i think carrie's more of the business guy optometrist and then he has a, a lady female optometrist that is kind of the dry eye guru and so i think they're going to walk us through their practice model 
from kind of a revenue standpoint, workflow, how they built their facility out and, and things like that. Because I think, Ryan, you mentioned you can have all the fancy equipment, everything, but if you don't show the pony and the pretty shiny cars with the rims, nobody's going to know what you do. So, 100%. Right. Anyways, thanks everybody. Signing off here. Have a great evening here. Thanks everyone. Bye bye. Bye. That was some bomb knowledge, wasn't it? I think it was. If you could please support our sponsors, Zocular and Dry Eye Rescue. They are the ones who are making this happen. I'm just the dude in the background doing all the audio, video promotion and marketing, making sure everything runs smoothly. That would be excellent. And hey, let them know you heard about them on the Dry Eye Hive Show. And if you need to sign up, just go to dryeyehive.com or you can click the link in the show notes. We'll see you at the next event on a Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern.